just Reagan and and the and the whole supply side business and because you were clearly not a supply sider how did you reconcile uh, I mean you're a good soldier and now all of a sudden because of Ronald Reagan you're chairman of the finance committee um, so <laughs> were there any tensions though between I remember him coming to visit me at uh, Walter Reed Hospital and brought me a book who was it George Gilder wasn't it yes sort of a little hint, you know, get with it. How sick it. were you, by the way? I mean, how, how sick were you at that point? I wasn't that, uh, uh, I had kidney stones and the only kidney I had left, and it took them a long time to find it. So I was weak, but, you know, I wasn't, wasn't life-threatening, but I was, I was sick. But, yeah. uh, but I know the boy, they literally loved that visit, the nurses and the, everybody, Got pictures with President Reagan, and and, uh, and I appreciate it too. But uh, yeah, I never was much of a laugher curve man. I, the L A U G H E R is how we looked at it, but as a real laugher. But uh, he's still around. I see him on you know these business shows. Here's Art Laffer talking about. He doesn't talk much about the Laffer curve anymore. So, but he sold the president, sold somebody at the White House, and uh, and then I guess Kemp was the big booster for the. Well, on the Senate side it was Roth Kemp, on the House side it was Kemp Roth. But Jack was more vocal about it. But Bill Roth, you know, really pushed hard on the. First it was ten, ten, ten. And then you end up ten, ten, five, and tax cuts were fine with me, but I didn't understand all this. How we're, by cutting taxes, you were going to get all these revenues back, and then part of the program was you're going to cut spending, which never happened. And Reagan blamed the, well, the administration blamed the Congress. I'm sure Reagan did, but I'm not so certain. You know, we tried hard and got dumped. Uh, Cut spending, but uh, but also, I mean, there was this sort of race that developed. I mean, uh, um, I mean, you, there were all sorts of Christmas tree ornaments that got put on. I mean, wasn't there a contest with the the, the House or the or the Democrats? Uh, I mean, how did that how did that? Sort I see of now the Democrats had the House, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to deal with Dan Rostenkowski. He's quite a guy, and. Tell us about Well, I liked him. I mean, uh, and again, he was another one. He's about like me. He didn't know anything about taxes. He got elected to Congress, ended up chairman of the, <laughs> the tax writing committee. Here I ended up chairman of the finance committee. So we weren't accountants or tax experts, but we'd been around long enough to know what, you know, how you get things done. But he's a pretty tough guy and pretty... Uh, Pretty party line, but I got along with him pretty well. I could go over there and visit with him. But I remember, was it 81 or, yeah, I think it was 81, when Reagan was trying to get some enterprise zones. This is another idea of Kemp and these guys, which probably made some sense. Uh, and I remember he called uh, Rosti, as we called him, I don't know, two or three times on the phone. 
I'm not certain he ever got any. I think he maybe gave him 10 or something instead of 75. He won a 75. So he was a very, you know, I liked him. I mean, he was a big, pleasant guy and tough Chicago. I thought what he did was petty anyway. I mean, not punishment well, much too severe, but. Uh, tough negotiator? Pardon? Was he a oh. tough negotiator? Well, he didn't negotiate. It was his, his way or no way. That was his negotiation position. So he had to work from there. But uh, did, did, were the Democrats in effect? And boy, he had him in line. Nobody ever wavered on his side. So, but in the end, of course, I mean, I wonder whether they were caught sleeping because Reagan was able really to go over the heads of the leadership. And uh, I mean, it's almost a textbook example yeah. of a president using the media to, in effect. And the people, for one, I don't think it's happened since, has it? I don't think so. Or the people actually got the tax cut. I mean, uh, you know, what was it, 300? I don't know how many votes against in the Senate, a little handful. And probably 25 or 30 in the House. I don't remember the numbers. But, uh, yeah, it was, but there were a lot of, a lot of goodies attached to it. Some we had to take care of later. And then I got accused of being the tax collector for the welfare state by Gingrich uh, because we tried to close some of the loopholes. Some of these corporations were making out like bandits under this, what, what program was it? It was some crazy program where they got big, big tax write-offs, some lease, lease program of some kind. So we closed some of those loopholes and... Uh, that's, that's probably where Rod could fill you in on all, the, right. all that Tefra and Defra and all that yes. stuff. Oh, but, yeah. But, but now, the, what was it about Reagan that allowed him to do what he did? I mean, to, to get on TV and tell people to call your congressman, and they would call. Yeah, well, I think he came in with this big, big victory and. And uh, had a Republican Senate, finally had one Republican chamber. And so, and he had a lot of clout with the people. People like, you know, like Ronald Reagan. So that he could, you know, if Reagan said it, I mean, I can remember getting uh, letters from, critical letters from home when I said something that wasn't 100% what, you know, following what Reagan said we ought to do. If I had any question about it, well, I'd, I'd get letters. I mean, he had this magic with the with the people. And they weren't all Republicans. They were independents, Democrats, you know. You think part of it was, I mean, remember, along about in here, at the end of March comes the assassination attempt. Yeah. And I think that really oh, defined yeah. Reagan for yeah. people who were still kind of on the fence. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, there's this larger than a figure. I mean, oh, yeah, like God was saving this game, man. You know, he's, a lot of people really believe that, you know, that it's a, a plan, and this is, uh, and the way you handle it, you know, the jokes, and the, I hope that my doctor's a Republican, all that kind of, all that played well with the people, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. And just an average guy, and he's really, you know, nearly died, so it wasn't, 
you know, scratch. But uh, and one other thing, remember, about this time was the Patco strike, and the fact that I've always thought that Reagan's legend was really born with the assassination attempt, and then when he fired those air traffic controllers, all of a sudden, you know, after years of presidents who seemed to be, you know, overwhelmed by the job, you had a guy who did what did he it. said he was going to do. And, and did it in a way that everyone could understand and um, seemed to be willing to take whatever consequences. I mean, that seemed Yeah, well, he had a big break coming in, you know, the hostage release, too. I mean, that, that catapulted him if he had any, you know, a lot of people said that, that happened because of Reagan. You know, they didn't, Carter was never going to do anything, but Reagan would tough and he'd take action. And I met. You know, might, 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 might have been the case, but that certainly gave him a, a pretty good start, you know. And uh, it happened one the day after he was sworn in, I yeah, think. Yeah, literally yeah. the day, I mean, the, the day of the inauguration. Yeah, I hear the, and poor President Carter, I think he said recently on the, what do you do over again? He said, well, he'd send one more helicopter, <laughs> a backup, which is probably a good thing to do. But uh, I don't know, Reagan just had that star quality, you know. He couldn't tell you how the watch was made, but he knew what time it was. You know. well, Bud McFarlane had a great line. I, uh, he, he was just sort of scratching his head. He said, he knows so little, yet he accomplishes so much. Yeah. I mean, did it, did it baffle your call? I mean, professional politicians? to see Reagan in action, or? Oh, you go down there, and I was seated on his left as the Republican leader, and you'd glance over, and you have these little cards, and it would start off, good morning, Bob, you know. I mean, everything was scripted, and I, that's not because he could, didn't know my name, but I think it was historical purposes, too, so they, they wanted this just right. Uh, but, uh, but, he, but he had this... Uh, I don't know what you call it, common sense. I think he had a feel for what people really wanted. And he didn't he didn't profess to know all the details. He never got up and said he knew all the he could call on X, Y, and Z. And uh I can't remember when it was when Gingrich was giving him a little lecture, as Newt liked to do at these meetings, and say, Mr. President, you ought to do it. and of course he had a blank legal pad there, Newt did, you ought to do the following. Then he started writing one, two, three, four. And Laxalt finally had said, Newt, shut up. You know, that's about one of the best moments that I can remember. But uh, uh, but the president listened to all this stuff. Did you ever see him lose his temper? Oh, yeah, over the bankers. Remember we had... Uh, President wanted to repeal, uh, wanted to withhold uh, income tax on, on on interest and dividends. I mean, we were losing, I don't know, four or five billion a year. People said, I don't have to pay taxes on my income or on my interest. You know, so they just didn't pay it. And so, you know, we're trying to figure out how to close some of these, quote, loopholes. But then the bankers took him on, the American Banking Association, and savings and loans. 
And I remember one morning we were, the issue came up and uh, he, he took off his glasses and he said, I'm up to my keister with those bankers and threw his glasses on the table like, you know, real tough guy. Boy, that's tough stuff. And, but later the thing kind of fizzled and it was repealed by an amendment with Robert Caston from Wisconsin. And a White House said, oh, that was one of Bob Dole's crazy ideas. You know, that, that's how they got shut of it. So, so I got blamed for it. Um, and we even, we even had withholding on tips, you know. For, I remember going to Topeka, Kansas, a little Ramada Inn, a little restaurant there, and this a little nice little waitress, they all wore these little buttons that said Bob Dole's lady for the evening. You know, they really rub it in. I said, no, I'm, I'm just the chairman. I don't dream up all these things. So. Did you know in 81 that this thing was getting out of hand? I mean, in terms of the budgetary consequences. I, I mean, was, does it take on a life of its own that, in other words, you know, we got to win no matter what the cost, and then maybe later on we can recoup some, or, I mean... Yeah, because Reagan, you know, his well, strength was uh, going to balance the budget, cut spending, cut taxes, but cut spending, and he did do a lot of spending. We did a lot of spending cuts in the first budget resolution, but a lot of it was, was really not... It was David Stockman budget cuts, where you cut SSI that affected low-income people. You don't do those things. And that was repealed the next chance we had. So there were, there was, and remember Reagan had to get all this done pretty quickly because he came in in January and had to get it all done because he, what, I don't know if he had a 100-day plan or not, I can't remember. But uh, so they had to put a lot of this stuff together. And it, when you do that, you get a lot of garbage, you know, in, in with some of the good stuff. And... We had to eat crow on a lot of that stuff, which is probably should have on like SSI and I can't remember the other things. But uh, what was Stockman's role? Oh, uh, I think uh, I don't say mesmerized, but Reagan had a lot of confidence in Stockman. He was he was a brilliant guy. Let's face it. And uh, see, when did he join Reagan? What an immediate. Actually, I think it was. I think he was. Did he leave Congress right away? Yeah. 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 But he was a big influence, and you know he was tough with. If you want to go down and say, "Wait, wait a minute, Dave, we I shouldn't do this," but he was hard to budge. I mean, you could get him to come around a little bit, but he thought he had a mandate to change the federal. Spending policies and and it worked for a while, you know, because Reagan had this power. I mean, it wasn't because people agreed with it, particularly Democrats, but they voted for it because God, I got to got to run against Ronald Reagan, particularly House members, for two years. They weren't going to walk into that buzzsaw. I mean, so. And Jim Baker's role. I mean, you know, they had the Troika with Baker and Meese and, and Deaver. 
Um, I'll tell you what, Baker, well, first she had, of course, of course she had uh, Deaver was sort of the key guy. I wanted, wanted Baker to come into the picture. Well, he was, he was uh, chief of staff from the beginning. And then, of course, later and then he on, switched, switched with Don yeah. Regan, but but in terms of that, those first that first year or two, was Baker significantly uh, involved in the uh, negotiations or planning? Or? Yeah, in a different way. I mean, Baker had a different approach to everything. You know, he was open and accessible and listened, willing to compromise and. Uh, but there were people around the White House, I can't remember precisely anymore, but people like Knopfsig and others who didn't trust Baker. They thought the guy's a liberal, you know, interloper, bush man, doesn't belong in here. And so they had a few people sniping at him, but didn't bother, I don't think it bothered Baker any. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, we used to meet with him a lot on the budget, Jim, and I forget all those things. Used to meet at his home in Foxhall. I remember being there one night, and he said, "I've got some news for you." I said, "What is it?" He said, "The president's going to nominate Elizabeth to be Secretary of Transportation." I think it was the first I heard of it, and she hadn't heard of it yet. So, so he was, you know, he was, he was in the know, and he was a good guy, and I liked him, and. Uh, and he's supposed to be the most. Uh, skillful leaker in Washington. Oh, he had a great way with the press, you know, and uh, always cultivated uh, the press. Key people. What's the old story where you put poison upstream, then run into town and ask what's happening? You know, that's it's sort of. That, that was Mel Laird's role, really. He was—he was, he was the best at that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Baker just had a good relationship, and still does. You know, the press likes Jim Baker. Uh, all, a lot of Republicans have fallen by the wayside, but he still has a lot of credibility. In your sense, I mean, generally speaking, how did the Reagan White House? compare with others that you've worked with? Uh, I thought pretty, you know, I had a good relationship. I didn't see the president that often, but he was always very nice, and you now he is always very friendly. And uh, Was he as much of a storyteller as everyone, everyone says? Yeah, and you can, now and then you get to invite it upstairs, you know, where you could sit around and have a Coca-Cola or whatever you wanted and, and uh, I'm certain it was probably painstaking for him to have all of us hanging around there, but we'd go up there, he'd invite, have a special maintenance, a lot of high-maintenance people up there, you know, in Congress. And Reagan understood that. That's one thing Reagan understood, too, about how you, you, you've got to stroke the Democrats and the Republicans, which I think something Clinton never learned and Bush never learned. But uh, I think Reagan intuitively, and maybe I think in California, he probably had a Republican 
legislature way back then? Well, actually, for part, uh, I think for part of his governorship, but for most of it, he actually had a Democratic. But he he knew how to work, you know, and he never and he and Tip O'Neill had this great relationship, you know, where they at six o'clock after six they were friends and and. Uh, and I think Tip really liked Reagan, and, then Ray, and I think the same was true. I remember in the Social Security uh, in '83 with uh, Pat Moynihan and Greenspan was chairman of the commission. But uh, you know, when we were able to satisfy both Reagan and O'Neill, it, it's got to mean that they had some relationship where there was some trust there because nobody was trying to gain any partisan advantage, just trying to fix Social Security. And it's easy to play politics if you're a Democrat with Social Security since, you know, Republicans opposed it when FDR proposed it. Uh, Do you think it made a difference for Reagan that he had been a Democrat? much of his life. I mean, oh, well, look at some of the things he did. He had an abortion bill that cut welfare costs. and He had a, a, a pretty liberal record, I guess, in those days. But he could kind of guy who could just sort of pass it on and never show up at a rally of pro-life but get on the phone, the speaker phone and from the White House and wish them all well and hope you're having a great time. And You know, they're all, oh, that's, he's our guy. You know, it's amazing. But he had that, well, he wasn't the, called the great communicator for nothing. And uh, and he was good on, you know, when he would address the nation, he had that look that people uh, trust that guy. Now, this wasn't true later on, you know, when he had the Iran-Contra stuff, people were a little shaky. But uh, early on, he had the, he, he had it, I mean, he. It's interesting, Lynn Delzinger, I'll never forget, Lynn said to me once that uh, it would have been better for the country, he thought, and for Reagan, if he'd won in 76, because just the difference of four years, um, he thought, the other thing was, <laughs> he, he thought he got lazy, that in California, Nozinger and others insisted that he have regular press conference which really kept him on his toes. And he was actually very good in, in that kind of format. But when he got to Washington, he was surrounded by people, I assume including Baker, who were afraid of what he might say yeah. and wanted to keep him away from the press. And you get rusty. And if you, you look at the contrast between those set speeches and the press conferences, and it's, it's pretty marked, even yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I... I Reagan, is, I don't know what he had. He had this, let's say, this special quality about people. I mean, I remember coming, he'd come into the meetings with Republicans, and yeah, they'd go wild. I mean, they, you know, most partisans in either party, if the boss walks in, you go wild. But they really, this is genuine. And uh, he'd get up and give them the old one, two, three punch, you know, taxes, spending, regulation, same old stuff we've been using for years. But he made it work. 
I, th- I think in your experience, was there anyone else uh, who had that quality that you can think of? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I've said that I think the fellow knew more about it than anybody was President Ford, but he, he didn't have that right. dynamism or whatever it is that Reagan had. Charisma. Yeah. 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 Flat-out charisma. You know, he'd walk around the cabinet room and not remember the HUD secretary, but, you know, that's all details, you know. And, and as I've told you before, he had... He told me when he said, why should I remember all these members of Congress, but only half of them vote with me anyway. So, <laughs> so he had a pretty healthy attitude. Of it. That's what made him kind of real. I mean, he, did, he didn't give all that stuff. I don't need to know all these guys' names. I'm only going to be here eight years. I remember him saying that, too. So, uh, You think that the people sense that he was uh, funny for an actor, that there was a kind of an authenticity about the guy? Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's the word on you know, I, and whether he was or not, I, nobody can prove it. I mean, he wasn't that good of an actor. I mean, I just saw one of his movies the other night. He was a cowboy or something. I don't know. But uh, he what's, was, your, what's your take on Iran-Contra? What do you, what do you think, uh, um, how he handled it? And, I mean, was, I think age was... Uh, Getting to be a factor by that point, or I think Ali North had too much authority. I think he was sort of the loose cannon. Of course, now he's a big reporter, but a big following. Uh, well, he lost the Senate bid, but uh, and I'm not quite—I don't remember how Reagan really got dragged into that, but I remember he had to testify. You know, and, and he was on pretty thin ice, I think. So, and but th- there is this notion that Reagan uh, became very emotionally involved in the plight of the hostages, and which is, you know, perfectly understandable. Um, but that that sort of how he first got almost ensnared in this thing. But his emotions get involved. Um, and that he he could convince himself that he yeah. wasn't doing what everyone else thought he was doing. I mean, is that? That's probably true. I was trying to remember other strengths. I think I, I can't remember. Was there a space? There. Well, remember the, the Challenger. You know, exploded. and how how he, you know, how he spoke when he. The families and the big gathering. I mean, he just had, you know, you just couldn't compare with anybody else. I mean, he just, uh, everybody was impressed. I mean, it's a guy, probably somebody wrote it, maybe he, but he used to play with these speeches, you know, he just didn't get up and he'd make little edits and, and, and I, I've kind of learned, uh, to have more respect for him since looking at some of his diaries. I mean, the guy was, you know, this, he kind of knew what was going on. And he had a pretty good view of what what was happening. And uh, so I think some of the doubters maybe even... Well, remember he had that sign on his desk that said, 
there's no limit to what a man can accomplish as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a revealing. Yeah, and I don't, I don't remember, you know, Reagan got a lot of credit because he was Reagan, but I don't think he could really, that wasn't his life. I mean, he didn't go to bed at night thinking, how am I going to get a credit for something tomorrow? I mean, and he, what, what was his lowest poll number? He well, got down there fairly low. Yeah, he got down in the upper 30s, right around the, the bottom of the 82 recession. Yeah. And uh, there must have been enormous pressure on him, particularly from within people like Baker, I would imagine, to mean to, to change course. Which, which raises the question, because that's about when you came out with Tefra. And was there opposition at the White House, particularly for the president? I mean, how did you sell this, quote, tax increase to, to Reagan? Well, I think they knew the, the so-called safe harbor leasing program was, a, I think, either Don Reagan or somebody dreamed it up, but it was, it was a big, big bonanza to big corporations. And I, I, don't, I think Reagan understood that. You know, he didn't know all of his stuff. No president does. I don't know, maybe they really study it, but uh, you have to take somebody's word for it, your treasury secretary and the other tax experts who are in your administration. So we had to go back and and close some loopholes. We, we we didn't call it tax increase, but a lot of the conservatives did. And uh, but it passed. I remember that Russell Long said, I hope you have a able to put together a good bill, but we won't be seeing you any longer. So all the Democrats left. So there I was <laughs> with 11 Republicans, including myself, after put the bill together. I was, you know, Russell wasn't hostile. He just said, you know, I'm sorry I can't help you on this. Were you surprised? A little, but, you know, he was friendly. He didn't hurt me any. He didn't go out kicking me around. But just a democratic position. They got into this mess. They cut all these taxes. They went, they went to extreme. Now, let them... Let them fix it. Why should we have to fix it? So that's probably what we would have done. <laughs> but at the same time, you had the, the true believers in oh. the Republican Party. Particularly with all the their oh, yeah. Oh, the lots and the camps and the Nazis. Yeah. They thought we were raising taxes. Well, we were. People weren't paying any. So <laughs> what, when you confronted them, that was hard to pass. It was hard to get out of the committee too, because we had some pretty tough guys on the committee, and uh, I don't remember how we got that done. Who we had to take care of? Probably somebody. When you confronted them with, call it the old time religion, but deficits. I mean, at what men, men diminish you. We were the. You know, we we thought, boy, we're we're really going to be in the favor at the White House because Reagan is a big budget cutter, and we're from the old-fashioned Republicans who believe you ought to watch spending, at least have some control over spending, and 
you know, Reagan always said, well, they made a deal for every, was it every dollar in tax cuts, you get a dollar in spending cuts, but Congress never delivered the cuts. Well, that really isn't the case. We didn't get any help or little help from the White House on cuts. So uh, it, they were willing to cut, but they want to cut programs we knew Congress wouldn't cut. So it wasn't all their fault. It was just one of those things where you couldn't have it both ways. But, you know, Reagan was blaming the Congress and not much we could do but accept it. But we had a, uh, I'm trying to think when we had the budget deal where we finally passed it with one, what year was that? We had to bring Pete Wilson in from the okay. hospital. Right. Is that after 84? Is it Reagan's second term? I think it was. I think it was 85. Yeah, I think it's 85 as well. And it was Domenici and I and others put together this really tough budget, even uh, increased the age for Social Security, made some other changes in Social Security to keep the thing solvent. And a lot of people think we lost a couple of Senate seats because of it. But anyway, we passed it by huh, hook or crook, whatever, bringing old Pete Wilson in, saying you're going to get a lot of press if you come in and vote. He got a lot of press, all right. But... Uh, and then luckily for us, a Democrat had gone to the hospital the night before. Uh, Senator, Senator Exxon from Nebraska. How did you bring, say, a Jesse Helms on board or something like that? Well, let's see now. Jesse Helms and what's his, uh, his colleague in the John, wheelchair? John East. John East. They regretted that vote, they said, the rest of their lives. <laughs> but I don't know how we got Jesse, come to think of it. Maybe we didn't touch cigarettes or something. You know, something had to happen. Because we, we got Ed Zerinsky as the only Democrat, and we had to give him half the farm. You know, but... Uh, then Don Regan had cut, pulled the rug out from Munders and cut a deal with uh, Kemp and some house guys and How left did you us. Find out about that. Uh, I don't remember precisely, but I remember him coming to my office in the Senate with uh, champagne and ice cream and chocolates, a piece. You know, peace dividend, I guess. This was after the rug had been pulled out from under you? Yeah. All you knew, we were, well, a lot of Republicans walked the plank. You know, it was a tough vote. Well, we thought we were demonstrating what the party was all about. What, what, I mean, what was Reagan's... But these other guys, well, I, I don't know what President Reagan ever thought about it, but... But he had to okay it. I'm, I don't think Don Reagan could have. But, you know, some of the Republicans who were carried away with the supply side, they didn't think he had to cut spending because the revenue was just going to just bubble up, you know, and just take care of all this stuff. And 
cutting taxes is easy and cutting spending is hard, so if there's a choice, why? That's, that's what intrigues me, is, is when, when these folks, it's fine to embrace supply-side theory, um, but when you can point to red ink, when you can, at what point does, do deficits ever matter? Matter, well. I mean, what, what was their response? Uh, Some of these House guys thought deficits never matter. I remember Jack Kemp making that speech, you know, deficits don't matter. You know, good times, bad times, to cut taxes, da-da-da. I'm not sure that tax cutting thing is as strong as it was then, but it was, you know, it was really powerful in Reagan days. I mean, you had this malaise by Carter with a, what, 28 percent if you add up on unemployment, all this stuff. So, you know, poor Carter, I mean, uh, and, and Reagan just inherited all this goodwill from the American people because of the misery index. And it was tough for some of these guys. It just. I think presidents sometimes are the victim of circumstances beyond their control. I mean, just bad, bad luck. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Bush every day gets a dose of bad luck, almost. Uh, I mean, but when you think everything's happened to George Bush, you, you wait 24 hours because so, something else is going to happen. But uh, and I'll make President Ford's wind program, you know, the, which was a... I don't know who sold him on that. Greenspan? You probably know. I don't know. Whip, whip inflation now. I remember the... But Reagan, I think, you, you just sort of... I got a little upset with Reagan in the election in 88. Because I thought 88, if you look back, 96 was probably, I shouldn't have been running, but 88, I should have won. But I, and I really think Reagan, uh, not maliciously, but gave Bush just what he needed that last week in New Hampshire. Bush flew down for lunch with Reagan, of course, that had a big press play in New Hampshire, and, and, we were furiously trying to find some letters Reagan had written over the years saying what a great job I'd done on this and this and this. But I assume if, you know, if that's, if this guy's my vice president, I, though he tried to stay fairly neutral, I think, I think he liked me, but I think he probably felt more obligation to Bush. Did you ever have a discussion? I mean, before you got into the race in '88, did you ever have a discussion with Reagan? Was that something you could? Didn't talk do. About probably or? should have. Yeah. But knowing Reagan, he would have said, "Well, good luck. Call me when it's over," because <laughs> he wouldn't get involved. In, you know, the old tenth, eleventh commandment. But uh, he was pretty power. Pretty popular in New Hampshire. And I just couldn't counter all this last-minute praise from Reagan for Bush. Our letters weren't enough, you know, but uh, and I think Howard Baker was in 
chief of staff then, and I think Baker was quietly trying to help me, uh, so he was trying to figure out something that Reagan could do that would kind of even it up, but we never could figure it out. There's a story, <clears throat> well actually Jim Cannon told me the story, because Jim was working for Howard Baker then in the White House, and uh, I've never said this, but Jim said Howard came back one day red-faced, kind of flushed, uh, obviously agitated, and he said out of the blue, don't let anyone ever tell you there's never been a female president of the United States. <laughs> 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 yeah, I never had much contact with Nancy. I get a birthday letter from her every year. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's keeping that up, but uh, she was she. I tell you, she had good instincts about where Don Regan was concerned. Yeah, I mean, she was protecting Ronnie, and uh, and Don Regan was basically a good guy. You know, he's smart, had a great career on Wall Street. Uh, But I don't think he knew Sikkim about politics and about how to work with some of us who had to carry the the ball when we when we didn't even want to carry the ball, you know, just because we were in leadership had to carry the ball. And he wasn't a very good negotiator. I mean, I think he I think he understood it better than anybody in the White House, but. He couldn't convey it. Is that a problem often with businessmen when they come to Washington? That, you know, over and over, how many times have we heard that government should be run like a business? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, you get some of these poor businessmen come before you in Congress, you know, they're very able, very smart, very rich, probably. But then you put them in government. I don't know something happens. Some of them do a job, don't misunderstand me, but. I think people like Hank Paulson, I think he's probably the strong man in the cabinet, he and Bob Gates right now. But uh, but he's had a little experience. He's been sort of a Republican, one of the few on Wall Street. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think in, in Reagan's cabinet uh, who was sort of the star. Of course, Weinberger, and he had a pretty heavy cabinet, Schultz. Uh, Attorney General was uh, well. First was William French Smith. Oh yeah, and well, then, he uh, was kind of a zero, nice guy. Yeah. yeah. And then Ed Meese. Oh, Ed, sure. Yeah. Um, and of course, Malcolm Baldrige was at Commerce. Um, and then remember, well, gosh, how could we forget um, the Labor's Secretary? One, where did I get my reputation back? He was there. Donovan, Ray Donovan. Yeah, Ray Donovan. And James Watt. Good old James Watt. Now there's a, well, there's a mistake. You had a little bit of a relationship with him, didn't you? Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was, I, I think initially it was a pretty good relationship, and then something happened. I don't remember what it was anymore. He was kind of a screwball, though. And remember he told a cripple joke. Oh, 
that's and you said something effect that you know I've heard that language in whatever thirty years, forty years, or something. But I mean, I, th I think that yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Huh. But I mean, he came out of the White House one day and did something strange on the little the press gather there. I can't remember what it was. Made some stupid statement. Oh boy! But again, he had the hard rock following, you know. James Watt, you know, I'd forgotten about him. Well, and Ann Burford, remember at EPA, um, she was another, of uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> and remember, and the, the origin of the dent, the dentist from South Carolina. Oh yeah, you know? oh yeah, nice guy. What? Well, no, where was he? Edwards, wasn't that his name? Edwards, name was Edwards, Governor Edwards, very nice guy. He was a dentist, but what? Cabinet Pisk? Secretary of Energy. Oh, yeah, here's a dentist doing the energy. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to get him to pick a right person for VA secretary now, and I can tell you, it's, it's, and it's a tough job, personnel. I wouldn't want, to, want the job. But uh, I think you have to sort of summarize Reagan as this came along at the right time, the climate was right, the people were ready for somebody like him. Uh, I think Ford would have done a great job had he been reelected. Well, you know, he had all this, people loved him in the Congress, Democrats and Republicans. He could, based on friendship, get about anything done. And Reagan didn't have that relationship, but he understood You know, there are Democrats up there that need attention. And as I remember, I think he paid pretty good attention to people like Robert Byrd and other key players. And Reagan, I don't recall ever going around saying anything bad about anybody. I don't. Well, remember, and he, he was, and he, the grace notes. I mean, remember. Um, on the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, you know, he had, he spoke at the at the event. He uh, and he had the family into the White House. Yeah, and, you know, there was, a, and then he did something for the Roosevelt. You know, all that. Really yeah. had. you know, it was. Uh, he had this amazing capacity to be bipartisan when when he wanted to. Yeah, and still rev up the troops. Was he? Sensitive question, and, and you're not a doctor, but uh, none of us are. Was he diminished? I mean, at the end of his term, was there? Did you notice any significant uh, diminishment? I think a little. I think people are wondering: Is you know, is he really should he be doing this? You know, it's, it's like the guy that you see in the ad with the doctor saying up. The guy's standing over the knives at, at the bar, and he said, now make the incision, you know. <laughs> and the guy says, shouldn't you be doing this? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't think he was quite as sharp, you know, as, as he had been. And I, and maybe, I don't know, maybe, again, you probably know, I don't know whether 
beginning of Alzheimer's before he left or not. Maybe there was an onset. I don't know how you tell. Or just plain aging. I mean, it's, yeah, and, you know. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, He'd story. always bounce into the cabinet room, though. You know, he'd come bouncing in there like 16, 20-year-old. Say hello to everybody and sit down. Follow the script. Uh, call on people. And, and sometimes he'd take notes, too. He'd take some notes. But I think Reagan was one who relied heavily on staff at as opposed to Carter, I think. Somebody like Carter, you know, he kind of knew what he wanted to do, and he, he had staff, but I think he got into more details. Uh, Clinton probably relied on staff. I think this president is sort of a self-starter. I mean, I, as was... I don't know about 41, I think he was. But Reagan, I think, had a good staff, trusted him. Uh, I thought the switch, though, when he made the switch with Baker and Reagan, I thought that was kind of dumb. But it was a good, they both wanted it. Yeah. Baker wanted to get out of the White House and be Treasury Secretary, and Don Reagan wanted to get in the White House so bad he could taste it. Which I, I couldn't, I never could understand. Here's this powerful guy, got everything in the world, Treasury Secretary, and he wants to go be work in the White House. I said, well. He's a staff guy. Yeah. Um, what am I missing? Well, I guess missing is that. He thought he could run the place. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, I, I don't think President Reagan, you know, he wasn't going to let him run the place either. And Nancy may have been a good backup, but I think President Reagan probably knew when somebody was overreaching. That's interesting, because you wonder whether that kind of geniality, which was real, yeah. Whether it masked steel, you know, whether there was a... Yeah, well, I think when he left the room, he'd say, I wonder what that guy... Hmm. I wonder if he pulled a fast one on me there. <laughs> so. <laughs> Social Security. I mean, how, you know, how close did that come to falling apart? Now, of course, the Democrats have really milked the issue in the 82 off-year elections. Oh, Yeah. You, you know, you lost 26 House seats, managed to retain the Senate, but did that give a, a sense of urgency to, to dealing with the issue? Well, we, it's, it's just like right now. This, this week, Social Security is in the news again about how every year $600 billion, it's not going to get fixed because it doesn't run out of money for, what, 15 years, and you're not going to get anybody up Congress to fix it till they have to. I, I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But we were in the same boat. Suddenly, somebody had to fix it or the, they weren't going to be able to make the payments on time. So if you delay the payments five days this month and five days next month, pretty soon you're getting a cut, you know. So we knew we were under the gun 
which I think probably helped. And, uh, and then they, this commission idea, I don't know whose idea it was, whether it was Howard Baker's or somebody on the Democrat side. But that's always a good thing. Well, I'll get a commission and we don't have to make the hard choices in Congress. And I'll let them do it, recommend, recommend something, then we can say, well, I didn't really like it, but that's what they recommended. So, but it was uh, start off strong. Alan Greenspan, very bright guy, of course. And people like Claude Pepper, uh, head of the AFL-CIO. Lane Kirkland. Lane Kirkland, great guy. I really liked Lane. You know, John Hines, uh, Bill Armstrong, never liked anything we did on the commission. Very conservative, good guy from Colorado. But just a pretty, and, and uh, of course, Pat Moynihan, myself, and then the head of uh, Bob uh, Metropolitan Life. CEO, very bright guy, very probably the smartest guy on the commission. Anyway, uh, you know, we walked along, had the hearings, did all that kind of stuff. Then we got into the decision part, and that's where we started having disagreements. And then the White House got involved, and the Speaker got involved, and it got a little. As I remember, a little, little tense, a little partisan, which we didn't intend it to, to be, and it sort of, sort of unraveled at the end of the year in '82, and that's when Pat and I got together on the January 12th of '83, something like that, and almost at the same time said, "We got to do something." And I don't say that other things weren't happening, but at least we've thought, you know, we're in the Senate, we're on the commission, we need to do something. And that's when we started working, I think, with Greenspan and somebody else and somebody else. I was going to ask you, what was Greenspan's role in... He was a chairman. And he was, you know, he was... He knew the stuff. The guy knew the numbers. You could understand him in those days, too. You, know, you can buy his uh, tape version of his book for half price because nobody can understand it. But uh, those days, you could understand him. But he, you know, he, did, he have he did a good job. and did it he wasn't, have political instincts? Pardon? Did he have political instincts? I think so. I don't think Alan was ever particularly partisan, but he it's probably why he was there. Somebody both sides agreed to. You know, they thought the guy's fair, honest, decent guy. And uh, he really thought we were going to fix it. He had a very positive. We had some great staff people that I don't remember, but uh, I think one of them you're going to talk to. Pardon? Yeah, Carolyn, she's good. But anyway, we finally got it all patched together, and then we got Reagan to sign off or 
tip. I don't know whether they met or whether they just staff got together and recommended they sign off. And then we met down uh, in the Blair House in the final days. I don't know how many days we met. I had one night about before dark. Remember, it was kind of chilly out. We finally got a deal. And I had this wonderful letter from Claude Pepper what, thanking me for whatever. And of course, he was very, he was Mr. Senior. You know, people, if he said no, it wasn't going to pass. I later used that letter in my campaign. His brother complained about it but <laughs> in Florida. But anyway, uh, and the result is it's still okay. Now, were, were, were there leaks from from these meetings, or did they, they? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it was sort of a nothing was confidential. Which probably, you know, I think I just as you say in your speech, the original one you were working with, the founders had to put up with. C-SPAN, all this, I'm not sure that the Constitution be written yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, and different, you know, we'd, I'd take my stuff back and tell Senator Baker, whoever, what we were doing, how we are making a headway. So it was, it was pretty open. And were you under, I mean, you must have obviously been aware of uh, heat from the right. I mean, I, I assume there were, there were, there were folks who, for whom compromise equaled surrender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you when you uh, raised the uh, uh, taxes a little bit, uh, that sent shivers up the spines of the the no tax group. But we, you know, we had to fix it. And it was Reagan who always said, "If you give me eighty percent, you know, or, or ninety, or maybe even seventy, I'll take it." Well, we figure we get. How can we, if they're going to willing to extend the age limit, we've got to be willing to accept the tax increase, and that became the big, big, you know. Republicans are down there increasing your taxes. But I think President Reagan or somebody around him. Maybe Jim Baker understood you got to got to fix it. If you don't fix it, I think it was that the middle of that year when the checks could have been delayed a few days. You know, there wouldn't been enough money to get them all out on time. So because they had to wait for more money to come in. So you know, we were we were near the buzzsaw. I mean, we wasn't any. Uh, Profile and courage. I think we, we knew if we didn't do it, somebody's going to get skewered, and we knew Congress would never do it. You can bring up Social Security bill in Congress. What, what does that tell you about the political process of this town? There are a lot of cowards up there. <laughs> they make great speeches when it comes to voting. Where are they? Whoop, whoop, up. I'm for it, except for that one thing. If you change that, I'll vote for it. Yeah, I said, okay, sure. If we change it all, you know, well, we won't have anything. But uh, 
people do get a little comfort in a commission if they have confidence and the people are on it for the most part. Uh, talking about the leaders like, like the president and like uh, Tip and Senator Baker and others. So once you get the leadership behind it, then you really got, got something. Because then it isn't b blame Bob Dole or John Hines or Pat Moynihan. This is the president and the speaker's compromise. Did you find Tip was a, a man of his word? Yeah. Well, I used to go over and visit Tip a lot. I'd sneak in the back hallway and go over and sit around his office. And he'd get his cigar out, roll it around. I don't think he ever lighted it. But, yeah, he was a good guy. And you can't think of the guy as assistant. Was a had a pretty bad disability, uh, Leo, somebody. Uh, but uh, he was always very nice. And then he later, of course, stayed at the Seaview a lot. Bought a place at the Seaview where we have a place. And he'd play poker until he just wore everybody out every day. This is after he retired. And he'd play poker all day long. He and Millie and then the kids would They've sold the place now. Nobody. But so, he's just a regular old guy, you know. A bit of a None of us, I think, there's. Well, except for Moynihan. I mean, he was. Uh, would, would belong to the intelligentsia. That's something that Tip and I never worried about. You know, we weren't in that group. <laughs> But you had a long fun with Moynihan, didn't you? Yeah. With Pat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never knew what he was talking about, but I get long, you know, usually long words like this. But, no, we were good friends. I, I think we endorsed each other for Senate. We had a little press conference on the Social Security bill, and I said he did it, and he said I did it, you know. And what was your reward for having saved Social Security? I think we got a plaque <laughs> and a lot of mixed feelings. Yeah, tell me about those. Yeah. Well, the tax increase was not well accepted, and raising the age limit, which I'm not even sure it's kicked in yet. It's kicking in, I guess, you know, for years down the road. We didn't bother anybody's present benefits, but you started even touching even mentioning Social Security, and then to think you actually fixed it, you know, sort of like this veteran stuff. I mean, all the people out there, that, I think there were 30-some million then getting Social Security, 31 million. But I thought of, after a while, people accepted, particularly when you got, that's the good part, when you got like President Reagan and, and Tip O'Neill agreeing on something, who's going to fight with you? Who's going to argue with you? You know, Get a few nutcakes on both sides, but. What do you think is a long-term consequence of the Republican Party, really during the Reagan years? At first blurring, and then I think eliminating the distinction between the parties when it comes to balanced budgets as yeah. kind of almost a religion. I mean, the notion of fiscal responsibility and deficits matter and, and, and fiscal restraint. Um, it really didn't begin to erode uh, during the Reagan years, and hasn't it 
I think early on Reagan was on board. You know, I think he really, and that's when I said we probably cut some program that shouldn't have been cut when in the food stamps. And and you can save money in food stamps. I mean, there's a lot of hanky-panky in that program. But, you know, it just, it, it, those are last resort cuts. You don't you cut some other things first. And, but, you know, then you hang around this place a while and the special interests move in. And they've got friends in the White House and they've got friends in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And pretty soon this is sacred. You can't touch this and you can't touch this. Well, then you get down to discretionary spending, which is, what, about 30% of the budget. And you can't get there that way. And I, I, I don't know whether Reagan ever lost interest or decided, you know, what the heck, you know. Well, there is a school of thought that says Reagan wanted, you know, two or three things really focus on. And, and one was the arms buildup, which then went into the sort of ending the Cold War. And the other was just generally reversing you know, the flow of power and money to Washington. Um, and he set in motion both. But... Uh, I don't I don't whether I blame Reagan for the... Oh, I didn't like when he always blamed Congress because I was in Congress, that we didn't cut spending. Well, uh, we tried without much help from the White House. And uh, they were, well, we were willing to cut it, but the Congress wanted to do these crazy things, you know. So you can't win when you're, he's got one megaphone, we got 535. So, yeah, I, I don't know when we're going to find our way again, because, you know, we lost to Congress partly, mostly because of Iraq, but. Now, Ford was pretty good on, you know, he vetoed, what, 50-some bills? I don't know how many Reagan vetoed. And, but, again, Reagan, you know, I remember him pleading with Steve Sims when he came to the Capitol of, uh, uh, trying to sustain a veto on a highway bill that was loaded up with stuff, you know. And, of course, Steve was the ranking, or chairman, I guess, of the subcommittee, and he took pretty good care of Idaho, and so he wouldn't help us. And I told the White House, I said, well, the president come up here, but I'll bet, I'll bet you the building you're not going to change Steve Sims' mind because he's a good friend of mine. I've told him about the president's concern. But Reagan came up and practically begged the guy to help. You know, you know Steve, you're a conservative. You can't go with all this. So Reagan, I think, always... You know, he always wanted to do it. Does that illustrate the limits of power that even a popular president? Yeah, I mean, here's a guy, this one senator, and Reagan lost. You know, veto was overridden. So, uh... Was there ever any awkwardness at all that <clears throat> you were in your role, particularly once you became uh, majority leader, and, and Mrs. Dole was in the cabinet. I mean, was that, how did you handle that? Because it was a unique situation. 
I don't know. I always try to avoid you know, where she was directly involved, try to get somebody else to take care of that so I wouldn't. But, uh, Who were the subjects you avoided <laughs> discussing? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, she had a lot of dealings with Congress, had to testify a lot, and I never paid much attention to it. I figured she was a big girl, and she had to do her job, and I had to do mine. I don't remember ever having any, uh, any time when I thought I had to sort of recuse myself or vote present or something on a labor bill or something. Uh, and Elizabeth was pretty much, you know, down the line administration because, you know, the president was her boss. I mean, if you don't want to do it, we'll get somebody else. So, yeah, I don't recall any. I recall introducing her to the committee. I have a one wife. I think you may have helped me write that stuff. I have a one wife to give to my infrastructure or something like that. Yeah, very good. <laughs> the um, when did you decide to run for majority leader? Uh, I mean, and, and and how would Baker? I mean, do you know Baker was going to be retiring? No. I was at. We were having lunch at the old Watergate one Sunday. John Warner lived in the same building. We never saw John, but he happened to show up that Sunday. I'm not sure he lived at the Watergate today. Anyway, he, I think it was the Watergate. We this happened. He happened showed up for brunch. We were there for brunch. He was with some other people, and he said to me, "You know, you ought to be thinking about the leadership." You know, I'd be thinking about running for leader. I said, oh, you know, come on, John. And I may have thought about it before, but nobody, other senator ever told me that I ought to think about it. So I said, well, maybe I've got one supporter. But uh, there are five of us ran, as you remember. And Ted Stevens thought he had it. Still thinks, you know, he's never gotten over it. But... Uh, how do you run? I mean, what, how do you run an election like that? Well, you go out and see everyone, and you keep score, but you know some people don't want to, you know, they want to be your friend, and they want to say, you know, I'm with you, or you can count on me, you know, how long? That's, that's the question. <laughs> can I count to ten or five? Or But... Uh, Was but, Alan Simpson helpful in that in that race? I think so. Yeah, I think Alan. It's kind of ironic that he was defeated. I think I've told you this before. I reminded him when he was here last week because Mitch McConnell is now the leader and Trent Lott is assistant leader. But I was on Meet the Press one Sunday right before the election of the leaders. And I mentioned that maybe we ought to take a look at campaign finance reform. And McConnell was listening. And he went off into, he called me on Monday, said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm going to vote for you, but I'm not going to vote for Alan Simpson because you mentioned that on Meet the Press. I said, what? 
I said, there was an issue we had to deal with. So he voted for Lott over McConnell. I mean, uh, McConnell voted for Lott, and it's kind of strange now McConnell is the leader and Lott's number two. But anyway, that's how. Uh, and he's still uh, fighting campaign. Yeah, that's how Allen, yeah. I mean, he may be right, I don't know. But uh, that's how Allen got defeated. But I had people like Dave Dernberger and Jack Danforth and uh, others who thought, you know, I had a little higher profile and uh, sort of came from the middle part of the country. And, and Stevens had kind of an edge to him. Remember, he used to say, I never lose my temper, I use my temper. That's what, but uh, Domenici, great guy. Uh, McClure, who are there? Five of us, I think. Oh, Dick Lou is another great guy, Jiminy. Yeah, I don't know. So many nice, good friends in there. But did the White House keep hands off? I think so. Yeah. I don't know how we got twenty. Was it twenty-five books? Yeah. Or twenty-three to twenty. I know that could be. I, I know. Stevens lost by three votes, and he was obviously upset and because, you know, people had promised him, here he's on the Appropriations Committee, and he probably said, if you want a dam in your place or another highway, you know, I can take care of that. I didn't have anything to give anybody, so. And then, but it was a great experience, and we got along and never had any problems afterwards, and Ted Became a big helper, and Simpson was great to work with. And I'd send him on all the ugly stuff. I'd say, "Well, send Simpson over there. Let him," as he probably repeated. Well, that that's consistent with what we were told. <laughs> he has the two of you, though. Just your sense of humor. You must have had a great time working together. Yeah, it, well, we're different. I'm sort of a quipster, and he's a storyteller. You know, he'd, he'd tell these stories that take, <laughs> you'd be sitting and waiting, and okay, get to the punchline, you know. That's, and he tells them over and over again, but, I, you know, they're good, so. And he probably told you every joke he, he knew, right? Well, he told a few. But, I mean, yeah. but the point is he to have a sense of humor and a sense of the ridiculousness. Yeah. I mean, and in this town, you really... You know, but he had a lot of courage. He took on the veterans groups. You know, he really took on an AARP because they didn't have a Republican within 100 yards of the building. I think now they've got a little more balance. But but Al gets something in his mind, and he was a pro-choice Republican trial lawyer. I think trial lawyer. Uh, you know, moderate conservative, I would say. But, yeah, he got along. Some of the conservatives thought he was a little like like his colleague Malcolm Wallop. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I've told you that story where we were having a meeting one day, a conference where all the Republicans come together and 
we had some tough decision. I had to do something on the floor, and I was trying to get them to support me. And Wallop got up and said something I thought was kind of out of place. And I said, do you want to be leader? Let's have the election right now. We're all here, and we'll have the election now. Well, he backed away. We didn't have the election, so. And it was too bad, because it's probably my, I probably went too far. Because Malcolm, but they used to have this little group that would go to the White House now and then, led by McClure and Wallop. And they would sort of, this is particularly true when Sununu was there. That, you know, I don't know about this Bob, about Dole, he's a good guy, but, you know, he spent too much time talking to Mitchell, you know, it's kind of, that I wasn't being conservative enough for these Let me ask you, what, what happens when you've got, that's a great example, I mean, Simpson and Wallop, when you've got, in some ways maybe it's easier if you've got one member from each, each party. party uh, what happens when you know, you've got two Republicans or two Democrats, for that matter, from a state? I mean, the thing you've got to watch is your staff, because you know the staff here, well, i got to do my work for Dole, I want to get ahead of Kassebaum, and so they out there pushing around each other. You, Nancy and I just had, we just had an agreement. We weren't going to do anything unless we did it together and the staff, anybody that caught our staff trying to, you know, one-upmanship. But uh, sometimes it gets pretty brutal, you know, when you've got, particularly when they don't agree. And Malcolm and, and Alan were friends, but they, you know, there was never any real... <laughs> How can I say they're friends and no friendship? But they weren't close, put it that way. Uh, I think they respected each other. And, and Wallop was a very bright guy in many areas. You know, he got a very smart guy. And, uh, and it, was easy, it was good to work with when you're working with him. But You know, something else that's funny, Senator Simpson spoke very highly of was Slade Gordon. Yeah. That he was extremely bright, and, uh, had some problems with the voters, but yeah. Well, I I wasn't that big a Slade Gorton fan. Uh, he's the guy that sort of led to these term limits on how long you can, and maybe it's a good thing. You can only be chairman so long. The Democrats don't do it, but we do it. And, but they've got to figure it out now, so if, if I'm not chairman of this committee, I've been on this committee long enough to be chairman of that committee. But that was sort of Slade's, but he, he exempted the leader, which, but he was very smart. The guy that was very good is the uh, senator from Georgia who died suddenly. Mac. Not not Mac, but uh, oh, he's head of the Peace Corps for a while. Uh, oh, that's right, Paul Coverdale. Oh, he was 
Now, he would come to your office and sit on the... Uh, Slade would come in and just give you fits about four or five things. You're not doing this right. You ought to do this. You ought to do this, 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 this. Well, Paul would come in and say, God, I how you do this job. You know, what can I do to help you? So you'd walk out. Yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll call this guy up. I'll go see him. Yeah, don't worry about it. And he was always that way, even though he didn't agree with you, you know. Uh, but Slade was more of a critic. Now, he and I think Al were good buddies, which is fine. And, and Slade generally uh, voted with us, but uh, sometimes I thought he knew more than he knew. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how did you, I mean, talk about two people sort of culturally different. Al Dumato. I mean, Al Dumato's got to be on another planet from uh, Russell, would, Kansas. He wouldn't take yes for an answer. You know, you tell him yes, you know, he inspector. I always said that the two wouldn't take yes for an answer. Yeah, Al was a, but he's supporting Spitzer and leading the charge against Giuliani. And, uh, he's a, hmm. What it's all based on is economics. Yeah. But, uh, you know, surprisingly he got elected and got reelected. And uh, uh, he was a wheeler dealer. I mean, he did a lot of things for New York. I mean, he worked hard at it. He, I remember he's talked one night all night trying to keep some plan open that they're going to close and lose some jobs that wasn't successful. But but I got along with Al fine. I mean, he was a big big buddy. He went trip to Italy with me, and I thought, surely this guy now is Italian. He can help me out on language. I knew more Italian than he did. So he wasn't he any big. knew a few curse words in Italian, yeah, he probably knew a few of them. But he and Domenici were big buddies, the two Italian boys. But, uh, but what a contrast between Jack Javits and Al Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Javits was a genius, that guy was. Uh, I remember him telling me on the bailout of New York, that this vote for you know, cloture. You don't, you don't have to vote for the bill. Just Help me out on cloture, which I did. And uh, then we worked together on the War Powers Resolution. That was Javits. I mean, this guy always had something cooking. His, you know, his mind was always working. But he, you know, health finally got it best of him. And that's what beat him, I think. It, was, it wasn't his philosophy. I mean, he was a liberal. And but you saw clearly, I mean, the, really the demise of the liberal caucus. I mean, when, when, you, when you came to the Senate, there was a significant number of Republican moderates to liberals. Oh, yeah, Senator Cooper from Kentucky and, well, you had Hatfield, Ed Brooke. Uh, well, we had the... New Jersey Senator Cliff Case. Cliff Case. I don't know. We had ten or twelve. Hugh Scott. I mean, Hugh Scott. Yeah. And we only had what thirty-eight or forty Republicans. Yeah. So they had a pretty good Jack Javits. Uh, uh, 
the other senator from New York, uh, Charlie Goodell. For Charlie Goodell. Yeah. He was a moderate conservative in the House, a dairy farmer. But when he got to the Senate, he, you know, he had to represent New York. So, uh, yeah, in Pennsylvania, I guess the other senator was a Democrat. Uh, Joe Clark. Was yeah, Clark, Joe, I think. Yeah. Are those gone for good? I mean, is that <coughs> is that you know, is that wing of the party? Well, I hope not. I hope we get more people like the senior Chafee, junior Chafee. I never thought, well, never thought. But uh, uh, his father was great. I mean, he was a true, moderate, get something done Republican. Yeah. And. Uh, I never just knew Lincoln that well, but, yeah. and John would fight for what he, boy, he'd take you to the mat. I remember on health care when, the year that Mitchell kept us here during the August recess, was going to get health care. Well, one of his big allies was Chafee. Uh, never happened, but, uh. But if you really needed him, if you say, John, this is really, really important, you know, I'll bet eight out of ten times he'd say, okay. But a lot of it's friendship. I mean, if you, you know, how do you treat people and how do you, uh, do they respect you and they, you keep your word and, and you don't have a play favorites out there, you know, you're not playing games. Because they're all equal. So or some you may not have, have the warmest feelings for, but when you count them all up, they still make a majority. And of course the the Hatfield experience of the balanced budget amendment was he was serious about it? I don't know. I've often wondered. But I remember Elizabeth even called and prayed with him over the phone, trying to get him to vote for the balanced budget. Uh, that didn't work. And then he said he would resign from the Senate, and I would have 99, and two-thirds would be 66. And I think well, I think we've already covered but I think Connie Mack thought it was a great idea that, you know, get the guy out of here. So, Anything to win. <laughs> but I didn't. You always have to think about the next vote. Maybe Hatfield will be with you and you won't be able to find Mac. You know. You know that, that, that's an excellent place to end for the day because it's right about noon.